I, I'm I'm a big fan of After the Orgy and everything you put out. So oh, thank you. Um, um yeah, it's it's you wanted to talk about uh about Inseldom. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but for those who don't know, um, it's it's kind of funny. Like um, you you have like a lot of prestigious people on um, literary people, and you have some like uh, you know <laughs> random internet dweller <laughs> from the wild. <laughs> um, no, um, people don't know I'm uh, artist and writer and po- I podcaster. But you know that term is like damn. Ugh, <laughs> want to take a shower. Um, so yeah, the the I, I mean, I guess um, I don't like. I was thinking about what we're going to talk about. I'm thinking like the framing of it because on the one end, um, I I'm always like aware of uh, the connotations of certain things, and I wonder because I was I was watching. Um, a lot of these like black pill videos and me and my buddy, who's also a very good artist, my buddy, Matthew, the stout, we were talking about this one English guy in particular on YouTube. And we were talking about how there's this weird, like Creole language that has been born on different, um, I guess you could say like incel or black pill forums. And it's very like indicative of in a weird way, a counter discourse, but one that is, equally as i should say what is what is uh hilchan call it he calls it the like codification or the um quantification of like discourse because they have like these very baroque and like labels to everything like sub eight theory um <laughs> like uh she's like a lower tier becky and he is a height cell He's a gym cell. So it's like this weird, um, like computational model of, I would say, psychosexual uh, relations and pathology, which I find fascinating Um, because I guess maybe because in my own experience or lack thereof, um, I'm sort of like not like a stone's throw away from that, but I guess maybe. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you, like, is this yeah. a, is, I can't tell, I know that people, so uh, for the listeners who aren't always on Twitter, like myself, um, mm. Geo gets called a simp all the time and an insult all the time, but I always figure it's, it's a bit, right? Like it's not, that's not true. Um. <laughs> I, I mean, I figured it was just like a funny, it was just like people were like, you know, gently ribbing it's, it's, you, you know, it's... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's okay. The sim thing is largely a bit. Um, the incel thing is funny because um, it's like when you place that identity upon yourself, there's a whole host of different um, things that are in the background. Um, me personally, I guess uh, it's pretty clear that I'm still of the, um, how shall I put this? Uh, lacking of uh, certain uh, experiences or an abundance of them to put it um, nicely. But I think that the incel as a term is something that is very um, interesting because it denotes like, I would say a whole host of like um, biopolitical implications, let's call it because what is an incel? Like, okay, so let me ask you a question really. I mean, I know you're, I'm asking you a question that's very hubristic of, but uh, what, what's what's the thing that comes to your mind when 
you uh, hear the word incel? What's the first thing? Is it like Alex Masarian or, you know, whoever? It will, it, so it, it's, it's funny. I had a, I, I think about incels actually like probably too much because I think of it like a fandom, mm. right? It's both, I mean, mm. it's both, a, it's like, I kind of think of it a little bit like hipsters where there it's like, there's definitely people who are part of the incel fandom. Right. But also it's a, <laughs> it's a pejorative and like certain, yeah. and people wouldn't necessarily claim it for themselves, but you know what, when you see it, I mean, they have their, I agree with you. They have their own language, um, their own worldview and philosophy and canon of literature and, and wikis. I mean, it really, it really is a, f- a fandom, right? So it's like, is someone, is someone part of the incel fandom like they claim the label for themselves and like they you know their their username on various forums and social media is like you know uh, like rice cell 88 or whatever you know it's like (laughs) (laughs) come graper 88 yeah (laughs) but you you know what i mean right it's it's such an interesting and it's a term that i feel like has also been like misappropriated uh by all sorts of groups um it, I, I mean, it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting thing. So I guess when I ask you if you, if you identify as an incel, I mean, it, it, there's a thousand possible answers to that question. Right, right. Now, the reason I, ha- I hesitate at that question is because I myself think I'm like, it's funny, like me and Matthew were talking about this and he's like, you know, if you went on Wizard Chan, which I have, you know, browsed, by the way, um, one time I was on the depression board and it was a thread, like what images speak to you and the depression board for people who don't know, it's like literally the ninth circle of hell in terms of like, um, if you really want to get like a raw experience of like what a significant minority of particularly, um, young to like middle-aged men are like going through right now. Um, it's, it, I wouldn't even recommend anyone go on, dep- on depression and wizard Chan. And for those who know wizard Chan is like the offshoot of like where all the incels went when like R9K uh, and other places on Aikun like started being filled with like other things. Um, I actually found like my, my pink Wojak painting on there. And I, at first I was like, wow, I'm shocked. That's like terrifying. But at the other end, I'm like, actually, if I, if my painting like brought some modicum of like, not happiness necessarily, but I guess, um, emotive, like feeling to like one of these people who are really struggling in life, then it's like, you know, I don't want to like go down the, cause there's so many like cliches about the role of the artist that I absolutely despise, but it's true, you know, I mean, but anyways, uh, the reason I hesitate is that, um, there's okay. The reality is that there's a few, a few different things. There's one, the like strict, material definition of the term incel which is like someone who doesn't fuck like someone who i can swear in this right yeah you can say whatever you want i just had thomas seven seven on you could say whatever you want yeah and then i've listened to other ones it's like uh you know violent anal sex (laughs) that will never that will never leave us yeah the best is when you said like someone confused you. Well, first of all, b- b- I'm getting distracted, but this bullshit about like confusing you and personality girl, like how do people do that? I, I like, I know her voice right away and I know your voice. Like it's like, she's got the Valley girl thing going on. Like, like, Oh my God, violent. Anus. <laughs> and, P- and the funny part was like, you said that um someone confused you at a party and like, they thought they were being coy by like mentioning like, Oh my God. Terrible fucking terrible <laughs> oh God. didn't did, 
didn't um di- oh who is that one we're mutuals together what's her name the 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 writer um Gwen, yeah, she had that article I read back in the day. Um, I dated a not I dated neonauts, I dated like an alt right. Yeah, Proud Boy, there you go. Yeah. Um, another like unfortunate psyop that us Leafs have um, <laughs> produced again. Um so, anyways, <laughs> I was getting distracted. Uh so the the material definition um is that okay, someone who doesn't have sex by their uh, not by their own volition. That's a vol cell, obviously. Uh, but someone who feels that their sexual, their embodied sexual life is a source of trauma or rather a source of unrecognition and abjection. Then there is the incel as the, excuse me, the way that the media portrays it, which I would say is a, um, discursive mechanism of biopolitical control. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you read volume one of uh, History of Sexuality, there's this essay called, um, it makes a distinction. It's called uh, uh, Scientia Sexualis, which is the Western model that comes from what Foucault would later call pastoral power, which is the confessional. uh, And how in the 19th century, and, and see, this is where a lot of like, you know, I get into heat for this, right? And the reason I'm talking about this is because I spent the majority of my time in grad school reading about Michel Foucault, which maybe I shouldn't have. Um, a lot of like trads, they get this wrong. He wasn't saying like this very like butchered, like Herbert Marcuse. He actually criticizes Marcuse quite a bit here. Um, this like free love, you know, let's have... Uh, what, what did Justin Trudeau so speaking of Canadian uh, he's like LGBTQ plus plus like whatever it's he's saying like the that proliferation of sexuality is a part of power knowledge is a part of biopower because in the 19th century the confessional or that pastoral power produced a whole series of knowledges of to quote to what he called quote the truth of sexuality now he makes this like weird exoticist because it was the 70s he wrote this so he was like he went to the states and he knew about all these hippies and stuff so he made this like weird exoticist uh what he called the sans erotica um which is only present in like greece and like eastern cultures so like tantra for instance and they are about the pure act of like finding truth through the pleasure and the expression and the sort of ecstasies of sexuality. And he said like, he has this weird like deference towards Christian, um, the old model of pastoral confession. He said that in some ways, the older um, confession of a union with the divine in Western Christianity, that is like almost a form uh, or getting to a form of like, the eroticism of things like Tantra. Uh, but but what he says here, and the reason I bring this up is because he is talking about the policing and the surveillance and the cartographies of sexuality. And to me, I feel that the way the term incel itself is deployed is another sort of mechanism of not just political control, but also the confession of a deep sort of um, malfeasance or deficiency within the incel subject in modernity in like this post-sexual revolution society. Um, And so I I wrote 
and essays back in the day, like really like back in 2015, uh, which weren't like that complete. Uh, but it, to me, it's fascinating the way that the term itself gets deployed and how uh, the term has evolved to connote almost like a, uh, a scarlet letter politically. It's yeah. It's like a shorthand for like, uh, you know, a right wing (laughs) pest. It feels like Like, it doesn't even mean like sexless anymore. It just means like you, you Mm. seem like you might be racist and I don't like you. you It it doesn't really make any sense. A lot of insults have had sex. I mean, maybe have had terrible sex, but, um, it's more like, the price of admission to the sort of utopianism of current society seems to be the um, the demarcation that you are someone who is a sexual being. But that term itself, sexual being, has transformed not to mean a sort of like more older eroticism, but rather someone who through sheer frequency or through um, libertine uh, exploration is denoting of a worth. I think that's what even Hulbeck was talking about in that one quote, how it's created a sort of like two-tier society where you and, and I mean, the incels themselves, they talk about this and it comes from like the manosphere lingo of like beta, uh, well, what's the term? Uh, alpha fucks, beta bucks, right? Like uh, it, it's denoting like this weird um, social stratification between a class of people who are perceived as being embodied within sexuality and those who, um, even if they have had the actual act of sex, those who don't experience that same degree, which is really creepy because in the one sense, like, okay, you have the typical like Chapo ironist crowd, which is, you know, like have sex, touch grass, but a lot of them themselves are kind of like incelish. Like, I mean, I don't want to name names, but (laughs) you look at a lot of them. Um, But yet like, it seems that the right wing has experienced this weird, like biopolitical, language mechanism to say, well, incel now means like Elliot Roger, uh, you know, I'm beautiful. I don't understand why people don't, why women don't want to have sex. It's like, <laughs> like, and, and the, <laughs> you know what I'm really curious yeah, about ahead. with Elliot Roger, not to, you're, you're making a great point. He pretended to totally derail, he was. but yeah. he was beautiful. Total twink material. You know? And I want to know like, which, what let's let's oh. not evoke any <laughs> uh, but, uh, no but when, I, when when Elliot Roger went on his rampage I identified as a as a fem cell and my first question was um, what um, fat chick loved him that he just did not see I mean mm. and I seriously I, I you know like what like that was my real response like who was he ignoring because she oh, wasn't man that's a, a great Stacey. question and that leads to like that it involves what i'm trying to say and, and for people in the audience like sorry i i sound like i realize i sound like a total theory cell nerd right now i sound like a spurg but like um i hopefully i don't come off that way but um i just, <laughs> uh, i can't <laughs> help it um I, I think that with Elliot Roger, it's certainly true that there is, and you've talked about this before in your show, um, it's certainly true that there is a contingent of incels who talk about this very, like, again, codified language of 
demarking like beauty and attractiveness through this like a sliding scale and if they don't um like but then there's also like nowadays i think there's a change in that like a lot of these incels they talk about how i'd be happy with a low tier becky like whatever that means it's like you know plain jane but but i would say that plain janes can be the most beautiful because they have a sort of uniqueness to them because beauty is beauty right that's what oscar wilde said beauty is beauty but uh true he said pretty is pretty but true beauty needs ugliness um but no i think that maybe in the case of ellie roger that was true but i think it's kind of a stereotype when people say why can't you just go for an ugly chick why can't you go for a fem cell because the way it works i think is more complicated than that i think that there's a, other reasons in these me, young men's uh, lives that prevent them. Like I can look at even my own life and I could say that like the, the real like brutal black pill truth is that maybe I just didn't try because of whatever reason, maybe, well, obviously because of my weight or whatever. Like it's, there's a sort of like a, um, there's like this weird pull. There's like, as the years go by when you're like early to late twenties where you get sort of comfortable in a situation and that leads to the sort of defeatist attitude because the throes of rejection are just like, they, they magnify. It's like that weird, um, one of my favorite clips by Sam Hyde is, uh, and, and like, I certainly have my criticisms of like his more recent stuff, but like it's called how to time travel as a man. It comes from his Kickstarter series where it's like, you know, um, all of a sudden you wake up in your late twenties and like, where did the time? And he's like, when you're in your early twenties and your teens, you just fuck around a lot. And he's like, you know, 10 years a race, that's time. You'll never get back. Um, but the way he did it was much funnier. Uh, I think like it, it is true that certainly there is that, we talked about this last night in BTR that there is the looking of an image. You're in love with an idea of someone. And if that's sort of borderline paraphilia of what a woman is to you is not fulfilled, then it's endless frustration. But I do think with a lot of incels, there's a lot of other things at play that prevent them. But with Elliot Roger, which was interesting with him, I truly think he was probably just like a sociopath or something because let's face it, he was rich. He had boyish, twinkish good looks. Um, maybe women were interested, but he, I mean, maybe, well, I mean, I've heard from other people that like apparently um, women can like sniff that like from, <laughs> from a mile away, like insecurity and uh, different, you know, I mean, he probably just gave yeah. people, I, you know, I'm with you. I have known in real life, like one mm. sort of like Elliot Roger type. And, um, I was actually like friends with him for a long time and I somehow oh, like man. got him to take his walls down. Um, and yeah, uh, I mean, that's a long story and I won't get into cause I don't want to betray his privacy either, but I, I you know, I, I will say that like he was, he had, to, you know, he had some physical mm. limitations, but he was like a good looking guy. He had a, he had a good job. He, he was very smart. Um, women probably were interested in him. He occasionally got dates. Um, but I think like he, I think what held him back was he, he and again, I don't want to invalidate his physical limitations because they, they, right. they were there. They just weren't quite as extreme as he thought they were. But I think like his resentment of women, um, overcame like whatever mm. joy he mm. could have found. And it, you know, it, it, it just constantly overshadowed it. And I, you know, I, I would ask him when we were friends, like, 
if we, if you ever got a, you know, like a girlfriend who you felt truly desired by and who you truly desired, like, wouldn't you just be scared that she would cheat on you because you mm, don't think yeah. you're enough? And, you know, this, of course, to that kind of guy, you know, that's, that's, you know, uh, femoid therapy talk and he'd, you know, throw whatever slur at me or whatever. And we'd laugh it off and, you know, get a beer or something. But like the, that, I mean, I think that's the, that's part of the issue with some of these guys where it's like, how are you an incel? You know, like you're not like you, you might, you, you mm. might not be a, a Chad, but you're like, you're charming enough. And I think that, I mean, I think that's the answer. Yeah. That, they hate women. <laughs> oh, I think like women hate is a complicated thing because yeah, it, it is true. Like, on the other end, I think like what is uh was delicious tacos called like pussy inflation certainly is like real, but it's me, but it, yeah, maybe it's I not as real as like a lot of incels make it out to be. Obviously, um, I I think like th- it's it's this weird mix of like the desired, the wanting to be desired, and also like the reality of frustration, and. It, it is true what you're saying that when you have this immediate suspicion or when you sort of are not connected to any sort of um, feminine aspect of your being, which is ironic because that attitude itself is kind of like very stereotypically like effeminate and passive aggressive. But, you know, well, I, I think like many and not all I have a lot of compassion mm-hmm. for you know, incels of all stripes. But I think like this sort of mm-hmm. like Elliot Roger archetype oh, is yeah. dark feminine. And that's the, that's the irony. They're not masculine at all. Like it's, it's the darkest parts of femininity then weaponized yeah, back that, against women. That is, oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think like even some of them would acknowledge that, that they are not like this picture of masculinity of Chadness and therefore they dabble with like almost like very like in a weird way in an inverted way, a lot of like leftoid type of ideas of like universal basic GFs and like a very utilitarian social engineering when it comes to human sexuality, which I find fascinating on a very disturbing level. But at the same time, I feel that uh, having been there a little bit, you know, like, cause you know, I'm not going to lie. I was big into the manosphere back in the day and all that stuff. Um, having like overcame enough resentment, uh, to the point where uh, I feel comfortable with like, uh, like what we're doing right now. Right. Like it's just, we're having a conversation between friends. It's, there's no, like, um, a lot of like what these incels talk about. If you actually listen to what they say, they have this like inability to view the feminine other through the lens of camaraderie or even like an eroticism that is a bit higher on the scale than just base appetitive desires. Because in the one end, the feminine other is their source of terror. It is like this odd, like uh, archetypal, like the terrible feminine, like the shadow anima sort of deal where it's like the, the woman becomes the source of, um, terror and policing and fear and castration. But in the other end, that object must be degraded and must be lowered to like the level of they're all just thoughts. And they're all like, like hypergamy is this, uh, you know, 
terrible um, Pareto patriarchy thing where it's like, you know, Chad Fox and um, women are like involved with Chad to oppress them or whatever. It's so there's like weird complex going on. Uh, but the reality is, I, I don't know what to say about the, re- like the actual reality of it. Uh, maybe. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I sort of get it though. I mean, look, I don't think women should be in these spaces. Um, and I, I, I think on in some respect, like, and even though it's it's made my life like, very, you know, very negative in yeah. some ways to like, um, you know, like every time I I see like a stray tweet mentioning my name, but I mean, I but I think they're right to do that in a sense because this is a mm. true space for male camaraderie and for m- men to discuss their pain honestly, and I don't think women would be very happy if men were coming and they kind of aren't, you know, as you see a lot of online drama and even some real life drama, if men came into their spaces that are supposed to be like very personal, intimate, mm-hmm. uh, gender related problems, and you do need to gatekeep women out because like the worst thing ever is like, you know, someone who comes in and tries to like demystify like your like live journal to your venting where you're really like making male friends and talking about a male experience and no, like women can't, Mm. can't and shouldn't co-opt that. And we don't really have the language to discuss that either. Like what, you know, what things can't women understand? Well, there's a lot of them and we're afraid to acknowledge it. Um, There's a, there's sort of like a curse and a blessing in that though, because the male spaces are of vital importance and there is a growing, um, even like I think normies are starting to get it right. Like there is a lack of male spaces, but at the same time, I think the problem with a lot of in particular, um, like if you go to wizard Chan or other, like incel.me or wherever, the problem is like, it becomes this like self, this mutually like reinforcing misery. And it's not, it's like a crab bucket rather than um, elevating you to, any sort of like insight or self-improvement or whatnot. I think that's the danger. But then the response is, well, if we were to like parachute women into that relationship, do you think that that would uh, solve anything? And that's probably, you know, evidently not true. So it's, it's really interesting because even just to talk about the quote unquote insult in this language is like another aspect of this, like, psychopathologizing of male relationships right so it's very interesting how we can dissect a whole group of people with their own like lives and experiences and uh put them on the table and vivisect them and you know watch how they tick right like it's it's (laughs) you know what i mean like it's yeah i i and, and I understand why people get angry sort of at attempts to do so, uh, mm. like academically or, you know, like sociologists coming in on like internet <laughs> safari trying yeah. to break down. But, you know, I was talking to um, Nama Kate, who has that, has a podcast all about incels and she, she studies incels. And I mean, even she says like, there is no, like, you can't really, mm. it's, there's no taxonomy of incels. It's a very, it's a very diverse. It's a label that like, it, again, it's like hipster. Like it, it means something. It is a real group. There is a language, there is an aesthetic, but also it like kind of doesn't mean anything on the other hand, it's too broad. Um, and it, it's, it's pointing to too many different problems and inefficiencies and too much, too much different mm-hmm. kind of, you know, of but pain then, really. 
I think the problem is that there's this need to project very like quick solutions, which maybe in combination they could be workable, but um, like is is like becoming a vitalist bodybuilder a solution, or is uh, I don't know like some weird like. And I love I love him to death. He he gave me my you know he helped he helped me out back in the day. But like some weird Justin Murphy uh, arranged marriage thing, which I mean maybe on a small scale could actually be quite beneficial. <laughs> beneficial, but I-, I don't know. I think that the problems, the problem of the incel is really the problem of the general sense of unwe and nihilistic purposelessness in Western civilization in particular for the last, I would say, 50 to 100 years. Like, it's very much this last man type of syndrome. And it's not going to go away simply by doing, like, the Jordan Peterson clean your room bucko thing. Like, it's, yeah, those are important. Like, like any small step is helpful. But we're dealing with forces here that I think are beyond the capacity for the average subject or individual to deal with. There's sort of like an overloading of the burden of our time frame onto the subject, onto the male, young male subject in particular. Um, and I would say even young female subject, because you, you talk a lot about like the fem cell and how they're sort of left out of the equation. Because a lot of incels, they don't believe that they exist. That's another thing. You know, they don't think that fem cells are real, which I thought for a long time, I thought, oh, no way. But now I'm st- <laughs> now I'm st- on Twitter. I'm starting to see it a little bit. But um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's... <laughs> The, the bodybuilding thing is something that I, that you, you know, you just brought up is, is something that I, I'm probably a little bit too fixated on, but I think it's so interesting because I, I kind of do think it's, I think lifting mm. is like a solution, but it's like, it says so much about the, the man in question where he takes that. If he truly goes down the bodybuilding route, I think that's, that is like when the fem cell, uh, is, becomes a pro-anorexic, right? It's like a real distaste with the body and it's not really about repairing relationships. When he lifts and tries to integrate with his immediate environment, that says another thing. If he if he lifts and then it, you know, he then enlists, that is, an, you know, that is another, yet another thing. It feels like there's, it, it lifting is just step one and there's, mm-hmm. the problem mm-hmm. is there's no step two. Like, where, where are these men supposed to go? Like, all right, you fixed your body. Now what? And I don't know. That's something I find myself thinking yeah, about um, all the time. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because I was watching this great video by um, my fellow YouTuber, Russell Walter, and he has this video about um, civilizations and bodybuilding and like vital, uh, what is it called? The vital aristocracy. Uh, and it talks about the like, Nietzschean Bappian view. Um, and I wrote this essay, uh, along with a series of paintings I did for man's world magazine. I think it's going to come out in December in the print edition. Uh, it was going to come, I wanted it to come on volume four, but then Rod Nationalist, he's like, no dude, this is too good. I have to come on. It just seems better in like actual paper. So I, I talk about the vitalist bodybuilder and how as like an aesthetic expression that is different than the sort of uh, what my buddy Russell calls the bourgeois attitude towards bodybuilding, which is like this vanity sport or like this really weird body dysmorphia. The difference being is that a lot of creative civilizations that have produced um, things like great works of art and great um, shelling points of 
other civilizations that have come after them. They have all had this focus on the vitality of the body. But that being said, that vitality comes from other pursuits. It comes from a sort of spiritual excellence of the body. It comes from the excellence in a more older ritualistic view of warfare, such as the Mongolian or Manchu steppe people against the Han Chinese peasantry or the Greek um, city-states going against Persia. It's there, There's other ends to that than simply lifting for this very like aesthetic like gym cell type of thing like that aesthetic has to be informed by something higher than just you know i want to lift because of uh i mean those are noble goals like to have confidence and maybe to attract women or to at least but my my one friend he said it the best he said like the problem with the the gym cell is that women don't necessarily like the like you know huge feats of like muscles and you know the rippling physique it's more of that symbol of um protection and security i think that's probably closer to the truth so i think there's a difference between the men who want to lift out of an ethos of aesthetic and uh how should I say it? aesthetic and cultural and spiritual excellence, as opposed to someone who lifts out of this like vanity project, which, you know, people who deride the sort of bappy and bodybuilding project, they're like, Oh, that's just body dysmorphia. I mean, maybe sometimes of course, but I think there's like, a, yeah. Do you think that BAP offers, uh, you know, something for young men to like something greater and transcendent for young men to align themselves. Mm. I, I mean, he, he, he must, right. Cause <laughs> I, I can't get that like zero HP Lovecraft thread about how BAP is a true King out of my head. Like, I, I, I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I'm, it's I, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly lamenting this. I'm, I feel so bad that these guys hate me because I, you know, I don't want to be in their lane, but I also am like, I find their content very interesting and I, I find their worldview I think very like the, interesting. Okay. So um, oh, let me just say something about that. I, before I get to the BAP thing, I think that the BAPist, I think maybe they don't necessarily hate you as much as like, um, other groups, uh, that I won't, I, I'm trying to do my best not to uh, subtweet. Uh, but let's say the no, no e girls, no girls ever. If you know what I'm talking about, I think they probably hate you more. Um, oh, well, it's the same, it's the same group, dude. I mean, there's lots uh, yes of overlap and no, because <laughs> there's a lot of like rivalry between the like BAP Salo forums contingent and like other groups that, like there's always constant, like this is the thing in, in the E-Right, there's always constantly wars, you know, there's constantly like fights of like groups of like cults of personality and stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it is it is quite interesting how people also accuse you of being a fad, which is hilarious. I mean, that comes with the territory, right? Um, uh, even like under one of my tweets, uh, a mutual of mine said like, when your fed handler can't come up with anything good to say, it's like, damn. Uh, but I think like when it comes to BAP, obviously there is a positive project there, obviously. I mean, because there's such a degree of like inspiration and loyalty and fillity of that one particular, um, I like, I wouldn't say brand because brand is sort of degrading what BAP is trying to do, 
but that sort of conglomeration that has a very unique aesthetic and, and outlook on life. Now, I think that there is problems like from my own, like particularly, uh, you know, Catholic perspective, I think that there, there should be, um, traditions there that should inform, uh, the Bapian project. But I do think that what he's getting at is a, a life of higher purpose, particularly when you read bronze age mindset, there is a struggle for own space, there is a sort of nomadology there, if you will. And, uh, but I think that the articulation of it has problems. Like for example, aesthetic posting out of this, I recorded this video actually about it. I think that like, as much as it's good to like worship beauty and aesthetics and things that are, um, will be like the Nietzschean lingo things that honor life and honor the earth. Um, I think that like just merely, posting without any sort of comportment without any action i think that becomes uh, a problem but the differences i notice when it comes to aesthetic posting is that a lot of the bapians that do this they have gone on to become like bodybuilders they have gone on to like form um relationships with other men you know like i mean I noticed there is a marked difference with BAP as opposed to like other groups, as opposed to like other, like sort of LARPs, if you will, there, there's something there that's quite inspirational. Um, yeah. And certainly he's always been nice to me and he's always been a chum, you know, despite my, uh, limitations of the body, but, you know, <laughs> uh. uh, I mean, yeah, it, you know, it, it, it reminds me so much of like, you know, young women oh, yeah. who create mood boards and perhaps, and, and lots of, you know, lots of those mood boards are meaningless and go nowhere, but then some of these women become great artists. Um, and, you know, in the darker sense, many of them, um, you know, mm. are anorexic by the end of it. Uh, but like the mood board is so powerful and like the aesthetic curation is so powerful. And I think if you're, you know, we're all, I think I'm of the belief we're all in the prison of the internet. There is no touch grass anymore. And I mean, if you're using it to, uh, you know, I asked a, a very close friend of mine who is like a very like passionate uh, fan of BAP, uh, you know, what's the attraction? And he said, like, it, BAP taught me that I don't have to accept mm. ugliness as the default. And I mean, if that's what aesthetic posting does for you and, you know, you, you, know, you might not have the financial or physical or, you know, geographic means to achieve that, then I mean, there oh, is definitely. something kind of beautiful there. Um, but I think that turning it into a political project, there is a lot of like, uh, there's fraught with difficulties because the, the work of art to me is something that, uh, should at some level resist the politicization of itself. But at the end of the day, come to accept that that politicization is always real. Um, I, I, I'm more of the like uh, aestheticization of politics rather than the other way around, which I guess makes me, according to Benjamin, a fascist, but whatever. Um, <laughs> there's this great passage actually by um, Hil Chan in The Agony of Eros, which I think sums up what we're talking about. Uh, to be sure, politics of love will never exist. Politics remains antagonistic. However, political action occurs in a sphere that in, uh, intersects with Eros on manifold levels. Eros can be transformed politically. Love stories that unfold against the backdrop of political events point to this hidden 
the hidden connection, even though Alain Badiou rejects a direct link between politics and love. Of course he would, obviously. Um, he proposes a kind of secret resonance that arises between love, uh, live li- uh, life lived wholly under the sign of political ideal and the intensity of love. They are the two musical instruments. And he also says that, and this is again, when BAP talks about the yeast life and like slave morality, um, he says that uh, eros as excess and transgression denies both work and bare life, like bare life in the uh, agamben sense. Thus, the slave which holds fast to life and labors uh, proves incapable of erotic experience, of erotic desire. Today's achievement subject is equal to the Hegelian slave in all respects, except for the fact that he does not work for the master, but rather exploits himself of his own volition as an entrepreneur of the self. He is a master and slave at once. The issue has concerned the faithful unity that Hegel did not consider in his dialectic of master and slave. The subject of auto-exploitation is just as unfree as the subject of allo exploitation. If we understood the dialectic of master and slave as history of freedom, there can be no talk of the end of history. For we all still seem, uh, we all still far from being truly free. So he's talking a lot about. I think this is why a lot of like tech, bro, like ex tech bros, read Hill Chan because it resonates with like the experience of this like participatory panopticism and uh, like mutually reinforced slave morality that we're dealing with. And it's true that I think nowadays we live in a world either with like this on the one end, this like worship of like work and productivity. And, but at the same time, there's like, you know, more quote unquote fail sons and needs than ever before. And at the other end, we have this like very strange commodification of sexuality itself. And both of those things kill Eros in ways that have never, we've never thought possible. But I think what, what's getting there in the Bapian project, at least to me, is a sort of in a strange way, even though like they have a very like negative attitude towards women themselves, a, a reintroduction of Eros there. There is sort of like, and even Hill Chom would say that the Thumos and Eros, they have both exited from society. But I think Bap, what he wants to do is a reintroduction of both Thumos and Eros on a fundamental level. And I think that's probably... Uh, a noble project, right? Um, of course, I would say that in my perspective, that should be informed by a, a deeper tradition, but, you know, take of it what you will. Uh, yeah. If Does that make sense, Default? Am I just rambling right now? I don't know. No, I mean, there's so, I, there's like so many places to respond. I mean, the first thing, when you're reading that quote, I mean, the first thing that I thought was uh, <laughs> yeah. girl bosses. Yes. Right. But exactly. It's a perfect description. Uh, But I mean, to your point about tradition, though, like, you know, in defense of like coming to this without a tradition, uh, society and the, you know, the Mm -hmm. Internet, it's just it's too diverse. And the only tradition that would work might, you know, might be um, a church or, you know, or Christianity, but then it's like, you know, the way an Italian is Catholic is very different than the way an oh, Irish yeah. person or a Mexican person is Catholic. And there's no, I mean, there, there is no tradition that will capture everyone. I mean, it seems like it should be an encouragement to embrace whatever tradition you yourself come from and then also layer on this other philosophy right. on top of and, it if it's compatible. And unfortunately, there are points of immense divergence between 
um, like I would say like the Bapian project and like apostolic Christianity, obviously there are some writers, there's a great essay in the American sun, um, written by, he used to write with me with Thermidor. Uh, who am I thinking of? It, it's if you if you search the American Sun BAP and Christianity, great essay. Um, but I think that it's true that in North America, see in North America in particular, the problem is that Catholicism and specifically has been so heavily Protestantized that it really comes down to the failure of, I think, Catholic education and pedagogy because. I would say most, not well, maybe not most. I don't want to be too black pilled, but a, a huge subsection of Catholics <laughs> in North America are pretty much like lapsed or cultural, or um, like like you were saying, like as an Italian myself, to me, like this is what this is the thing that probably keeps me from converting to Orthodoxy is that Catholicism is almost like a ethnic religion, if you will, if you're Italian. Um, the Irish, of course, have, a, like you said, the Irish and the Mexicans, they have a different approach to it. The Polish have kind of a similar approach, but I, but in North America, this all the bets go out the window because on a foundational level, um, Catholic education in particular has just been abysmal. Uh, orthodoxy, I think, maybe a bit better because it seems that the American like Americana, the American consciousness itself is sort of like has this weird, like love hate relationship to Catholicism, but Eastern Orthodoxy is like almost this exotic thing that doesn't even factor into the equation. And so it can maybe come from behind, if you will, with a more traditionalist understanding of things. Uh, I mean, the thing with, with Eastern Orthodoxy though, is like, you know, it seems it seems like to convert, it would be like yeah, changing yeah. cultures almost. I mean, I, I was I was talking to a Catholic friend, like a very Catholic friend recently. Um, I was listening to this this album of like, uh, the, it, it's totally in Italian and it's sort of, it has this kind of like gesture mm. vibe to it, but it's all Bible stories. It's very theatrical. It's very fun. And, it, you know, I was thinking like if Catholic education, like if CCD had these songs like and they embraced the real art oh yeah like how many more people would oh, yeah. be catholic but and if it really wasn't love it? like if it was actually dramatic and if it was meaningful if it wasn't like you know like like, like what's the stereotype of like american evangelical like you know guitar solos on the pulpit right <laughs> like yeah stuff like that yeah yeah well i mean it just you know like I, I remember I, so this is, this is a secret that I've been like, is to mm. telling I've been a little bit more open about it recently. Um, and I, I, I mentioned it on the, on the fed post. Uh, but so I, I am ethnically Jewish, but I actually, I'm a confirmed Catholic and I just have never, I just don't mention it or talk about it at all. Um, and I like, I went through, mm. you know, I went to CCD as a kid. I, you know, I went through the whole thing and I remember being so struck by one of my, one teacher I had, who kept pushing this guy, like father Stan, I think his name was. And it was like this oh. dreadlock <laughs> rapper who like, I'm like this. And I, I like, I was like, I don't know. I was like eight and I was like, this is not 
like when I think of Catholicism, I don't think, uh, you know, it just, it, it reminded oh, me of God. like Jesus camp oh. and like all those movies that were coming out. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is going, you know, like I'm, I'm not Protestant. I, I right? like, like, like I like that episode of the fed post. I thought that like, maybe you could like near the end. Um, I love like BTR. We have a working relationship with the fed post and, uh, I love those guys, man. Uh, but, the, but yeah, it was funny that episode. Um, but it's like the, the Jesus can't, it's funny you mentioned that we were talking about that, this once in BTR about how, um, that like American, like Protestant evangelical, like Jesus camp thing. That was like, that was like older millennial, like 2010s nightmare fuel. It was like this, like fedora tipper reinforced image of, <laughs> of, you know, like, Bill Maher, John Stewart, like, haha, these like ignorant, you know, indoctrinating children. Uh, it, it became like this weird fodder for the like edgy, like post early 2000s cultural imagination of millennials uh, when it comes to religiosity. But uh, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Uh, oh, and also, like, I guess, uh, I guess the nose is exposed now. Default. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, that's gonna. It's not gonna. It's not gonna win you over when people call you a fed. And uh, now it's. Uh, well. Anyways, I'm not gonna. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, so I mean, people knew I was a Jew. I was just saying, yeah, I'm Jewish. <laughs> fuck it. But like, I mean, I I I, I led with being Jewish because yeah, I didn't because I didn't good. want people to like find out. <laughs> But and now I feel like I'm like like mm. now that I'm returning to mass and like I'm I'm reintegrating uh, Catholicism back into my life. I feel and I like asking people just like out on Twitter like you know do you recommend a good church in my area? So like I you know I just I don't like it's for a friend. I might as well just like be real. Like uh, yeah I you know I didn't want. I didn't want people to be like, oh, she's a Jew. Yeah, I just want like, yes, I'm Jewish. Um, you know, I, I grew up uh, with family members who practice and observe, but I myself have never, I did, that is why I never got that mitzvah. Wait, but then, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> oh God. But that, see, that yeah. in itself infor- like reinforces this like hermeneutics of suspicion because it's like, if, if you post, um, uh, like, is there a good church in my area? Then they'll have like the Fed, like the the Fed Jack. It's like, is there a good church? In my area? <laughs> oh, mm, yeah. It was it was inevitable. I, I I remember one time I posted. Um, oh God, what is her name? But she's a really sweet girl. I I feel, and she understood like it was a joke. But I kind of did feel bad. Um what's her name? Stephanie. Uh, um, like this thing about, can I find any like, you know, uh, like good, like right wing men in Canada. Cause she was moving here to Canada. And I posted this like picture of like a, um, a, like a Mountie on a computer. Like, <laughs> can I find any good right wing men? Again? Oh, I felt so bad, but she understood it was a joke, but it was funny at the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, Oh man, we're getting lost here. So yeah, I think when it comes to like the response that people have, there there still is an aspect I feel of like this therapeutic decline. Um, and the problem is that when you start to replicate, like even in these right wing spaces, unfortunately, there is a tendency to almost replicate the um, 
aspects of a therapy of like a therapeutic state decline with like, okay, what are we going to do with these incels? They're sort of like a ungovernable class. Um, is the solution like some kind of weird dystopian, like sex work thing, or is it, uh, another means like, you know what I mean? It's like this, the responses to it, they're never going to, in my opinion, they're never going to really, uh, hold any sort of water because you're not addressing what I feel is like a very deep, uh, very almost metaphysical problem with the age that we live in. And I mean, and then of course you have like the counter discourse, which is like, you know, Oh, sex work. Like I'm doing the clap thing, like sex workers are not, you're a shield, right? Like it's, and then like emotional labor and it's all that sort of like 2010s like third wave stuff it's just oh man it's like i, I don't know i don't know where i'm going with that but you know what i mean i mean it's 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 all it's all really dishonest i mean and, and i think like the thing is i have the most respect for like the guys you know like the lay down and rock guys because it feels like they're so honest kind of about like their <laughs> yeah. situation but you can't i mean you also that it's it's not really one size fits all and it's i don't think it's I don't think it's helpful to be that black pilled, mm. but like I kind of it, it some like even though I disagree, I feel like in a sense it has the most integrity out of any of the existing options. It definitely it definitely has more integrity than the like this is why we need sex workers right. kind of response, right. which is just like fucked up and like who's you know who's that for? No, but you know it's not even really for the sex workers. They don't want to deal with that. Right. The, the guys want more. You know, respect. But that's the thing, like the response that like every time insults comes up in the media and in like discourse, oh God, that again, another word I feel like taking a shower now, discourse, um, <laughs> like the response is why can't they just get sex workers? Why can't they just further drive themselves? And it misses the no, point. No, it totally misses the point because even Elliot Roger himself said that that's not the point. It's that you don't feel... Um, not just like an attractiveness, um, but you don't have that level of companionship and intimacy and vulnerability with women. And and again, like this is, I, I can empathize because this is also something that I've struggled with for a very long time. But at the same time, I feel that if given enough insight, given enough, like I would say humility even, I said this on Twitter once, I said that being in the position of, being detached from a lot of uh, these sort of like the normal rat race of dating and relationships and so forth. Uh, it, it sort of gives you like a weird, like austere um, view into like a, a form of objectivity. But unfortunately you're never going to escape the fact that experience is a good metric of most things. But at the same time, it's like I can view things in a sense, because if you were to sort of bracket the bitterness that comes, the, the sort of the, the sense of abjection that comes with um, not being involved in this sort of like normal uh, markers of relationship and sexual achievement and so forth, I think that you can view things differently than a lot of people because you, your experiences aren't colored with the same sort of... Um, machinations if you will uh either negative or positive but at the same you know that's i think a lot of incels they probably uh they lack um that that view of it they sort of 
they want a piece of sexual liberation for themselves. You know what I mean? So that that is probably where a lot of that frustration comes from. And so therefore, they're willing to entertain things like, I don't know, universal basic GFs or whatever. Like it's just... Uh, uh, yeah. I don't imagine those guys are in the minority. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the impression I get is that it's it's fundamentally sexual, but like the lament isn't completely no, sexual. No. Uh, you know, I, I I've I've been I I've had a unique experience as a woman because I've been like like vi- considered like very ugly to like you know I've I've never been like super hot, but I've been like I've been I've been like in a interesting I've been like in the the three to seven bracket, the so I kind of have a Becky. good sense. <laughs> I've been, I've, I've, you know, I, so, I, but the, you know, the way people treat me, you know, presenting as a three, I'm totally invisible. I can't get helped at stores. Um, people are, are in some cases like downright disrespectful and will like underscore my ugliness to oh, my face. Shit. And if that was my every day, you know, especially as a, a man where it has almost a different, it's, it, it's almost like more humiliating in a sense, because as a woman, you're sort of trained to, to experience right, that. Right. Um, and you, you learn there's specific defenses that you learn, but no one really talks about it for men, like in, in the specificity of like what precisely is going on. So I kind of, I understand like when they say, well, you don't get it. Like just how, you know, it's, it's more than I can't get a girlfriend and can't get a swipe. It's like the, the dirty look because someone has to like, you know, make your coffee at a, mm-hmm. at a Starbucks mm-hmm. or something. And I, I buy that. And I, I can't imagine that's easy to experience every single day of your life. No, no, it's not. Um, I, I feel like, oh man, I'm getting into some dangerous territory here. I, th- I think that. With women, it's probably a generalized feeling of attractiveness or the sort of, what did Sartre say? Like, what is love but the demand to be loved, right? It's more of like the the feeling of being, of, of being wanted, but that can come about from a variety of abstract means. Like, I mean, I'm sure it's not love, it's not attractiveness, but I'm sure maybe an Instagram influencer can feel um, a sort of ecstasy with getting however many likes or whatnot. But I think with men, yeah, but I think with men, it can become more generalized if the right kind of woman is attracted to you or is in a relationship with you. I feel like men can have that capacity to, um, maybe not capacity, but like certainly the stereotype that like, you know, men are basically like grug brain and just want to fuck. And that's it. Like, I think that's just a dead cultural stereotype. I think in actuality nowadays, what we're seeing is like almost an inversion of it. Whereas men are the ones who for lack of a better term are more of like the romantic uh, creatures or have a sort of idealism around um, Eros itself. Whereas I feel like, especially when it comes to like early education and influences, a lot of young women, and I know this is like a common talking point. This is like manosphere shit, but like a lot of young women, I feel they, they're taught to almost deny that impulse towards eroticism that is specified towards um, what is been traditionally regarded as a solid relationship or marriage or whatnot. Now it becomes about. Um, Cause it's a currency, yeah, exactly. it, it, yeah. you know, it, it I mean, like, look, I, I would, I would be lying if I, it's like, I want, I'm on, I'm on Twitter because I want, I want people to like listen to programs like this. I want, I want people to read oh, yeah. my Substack. Um, but when, you know, when I see people uh, degrading my appearance, I mean, I can't help but think, you know, 
I, I can't help but like connect it to my writing and connect it to my, to like what I, you know, what I view as like art that I'm putting out into the world and it like degrades the right. art and it, and I wish I didn't think that way, but I think, I mean, I think that's just the way it is right now. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that, I mean, in some ways I think maybe like if you're a woman online, you probably face more severe criticism because in like the online is becoming real life. But I think that in everyday experience, let's say in the sort of everydayness, um, the, the price of like critiquing women on this sort of metrics of attractiveness are becoming so high that when it comes to like the average e-girl, like, you know, I've been friends with a lot of them. Like there's, uh, they experience like vicious criticism. Like I've, I've certainly experienced criticism myself. Like, you know, the typical, like you're fat opinion discarded, but I've never like, like, again, I'm not trying to be a simp here, but like, it is quite kind of like scary almost. That's like, damn, like, uh, I, maybe it's because there's a perception of inauthenticity there. When you see a woman online, you're immediately sort of interpolated as, well, you just want attention for being a woman, more or less. And, the, and that's probably because a lot of like the earlier, like 2010s, like post Gamergate, quote unquote, trad thought thing, where it's like, you know, but it's also, I mean, it's, it's like straight up. It's, it's true. Oh, yeah, right. A lot of people, I think women are more predisposed to, and I mean, here's a, here's a caveat. I don't actually think this is a bad thing, but I do think a lot of women want to be career personalities and oh, whether yeah. that means, you know, getting a job as a writer at, you know, XYZ publication and knowing that you need to leverage a personality, mm-hmm. a personality brand to get that. I mean, and I think, Whereas like it, that goes against the, I mean, this is where I know I get in trouble. Like I, 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 again, here's another fed point. I, I'm a journalist. Let's, you know, let's call a spade a spade here. I'm not a traditional journalist, but I'm a journalist. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Jewish journalist. I could just that, say like people are like, my estimation of Geo just plummeted now that he's been on <laughs> default. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but it's, it, but that goes, like, and, and, you know, I, the reason I don't really write about or talk about the, the, the right wing internet is like one, cause I, it's not my, it's not oh, my lane. No. It's not my area of expertise, but also because it's like, that goes against the spirit of like shit posting. It goes against what the scene is all about. And of course they're not going to like someone like me and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to like the sort of what's seen as like, what's, what's seen as a grift, infiltration, right? when really it's, which is even worse. Yeah. It, it, it's it's like someone who wants to be like a career musician when there's nothing no. wrong with that. Who who went to Juilliard? Who's like at the warehouse show where people are like shitting on stage and it's like a, it's its own kind of art, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. It's like it's totally it's different. Allen. It's not um and it's not buyers. You know, like yeah. I think. <laughs> well, I want to be a career artist. Obviously, everyone wants to have their own. You know, I mean, I know I'll never probably will ever be accepted in the uh, professional art world. But um, I think like, I mean, you could try, I've been trying to buy your art for real for like a year. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, but you always have an excuse. My, oh, I don't have an excuse. I've been like, can I see a portfolio? Can I like, do you have a website? It's like crickets. I have a, well, my Instagram, uh, I, I am coming. I'm trying to work on a website. I'm trying, but like, I just have to upload stock. I'm like, I've been terribly procrastinating on that. But, uh, when it comes up, I'll, I'll send you it. Um, it, it's, I think like, the difference is like there's been so many instances of 
like infiltration. Like there is this one instance in particular, which I don't want to mention. There's been like, even, even if they're not like explicitly working, like I want to get a journalist job, therefore I'm going to squeal to Vox or to the New York times, which has been happened. Like there's that, the, what was the guy's name? The Caleb guy. That's like, you know, contrapoints to radicalize me. But then everyone in the alt-right was like, Oh, I don't know who this guy is. Right. Um, Oh, that guy, that guy is a fed by the way. And he like, won't. he is like always in my DMS trying to get info. And I'm like, bitch, these people don't like me. I don't fucking know. And two, like, how do you know I've bought Arctos books? Like what database am I in? Um, (laughs) just, just block the dude. Like that's, he's been, he's been trying to like, like I like he's been trying to get into like the BTR circles and I've he's so anyways, by, the, um, by the way you know who put him on my ass Taylor Lorenz so you want another Fed oh no shit ah! oh god <laughs> oh these people oh man God have given them over to reprobate mind see if you were. If you, but if you were to come out with that, that would shoot your credibility up like nothing. Cause then they would be like, you know what? These feds, these obvious feds, they're targeting default. And therefore, maybe, maybe she's all right. Who knows? She's a good gem. I mean, like, people are like, well, why, you know, why are you, I mean, here's my story. I'm just some like autist bitch who wants to have people read her Substack. That's, and that's, that's it. That's the secret. <laughs> Oh, oh, fuck. Going with this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> there's, um, <laughs> I could, no, I could just imagine like that situation. Oh, man. Um, so there's like this suspicion of like a Fed, but also like I think even if you're not explicitly like a Fed, like you're going to squeal to a journalist or to like the actual like, you know, FBI, I think there's a suspicion of, grifting that is using the sort of like feminine wiles that for a lot of different reasons is like pigeonholed or stereotyped as like you're going to get really far in like the dissident right for obvious reasons like there was just like the og trad thoughts you could call them that really like ruined the sort of um I would say held back or ruined the chance for the dissident right to come to terms with a more um, healthier approach to, uh, to like relating to women in general, uh, excuse me. Um, I think like there was this great essay back in the day written by my friend Kali. It was in Thermidor magazine. Um, she, it was called against the trad thoughts where they, he, she talked about how it's like the final, like postmodern version of like these, like, you know, e-girls to LARP this like trad cottage core, um, inviting a particular form of like far right, like let's call it, you know, far right autistic male gaze. Right. Um, I think that there's certainly a problem with that. Um, and there's, here's my question. Like how many of these girls just like low key, just like want to fuck a right wing dude. And like, they like the attention and it's not even about the money or like, it's not about squealing or having a career. They're just like turned on by like racist guys online. That has to be a lot, right? Like most of them. Supposedly that one journalist with, uh, with the hairdo, Richard. Yeah. With the hairdo. Uh, what's your name? Loth. Uh, there's rumors. Oh yeah. Julia. Julia. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think he's gay, so I don't. Th- I, but she probably tried. I mean, oh, t- another Fed. I mean, that that was sloppy work. Oh, shit! Oh, sloppy work! Oh man. Um, 
point was um it's very interesting the relation that um not even just in dissonant spaces, but I think in general, like when it comes to quote unquote, like, you know, the woman e-girl on the internet. Um, Do do you know uh, on Twitter, my friend, Jana? Well, you've probably seen her. She has that one podcast. um, What's it called? But uh, she did it with um, a close friend of mine on Twitter, impossible princess. You've, you probably have seen her around, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, She's a she's a great friend of mine, and uh, she did this podcast with Jana, um, and they were talking about um, like early two thousands aesthetics and the e girl in particular, and they brought up this really great point um, where the so Impossible Princess was talking about how in the sort of like early internet, the e girl was almost always anonymous. You probably didn't even know that they were women. And there was a particular type of posting that, and I think you also talked about this on, on after the orgy about like the confessional and the sort of uh, very like dark, like fem cell mind, like what was that term you used before what they were doing? The Was it called memory boards or storyboards or? Oh, mood, mood boards. boards. Yeah. 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 Like it was that style of posting, but as time went on, I think the sort of colonization of the internet by a variety of like corporatized and um, massification of culture, like forces, they sort of demanded that now the, the, the face in particular and the body and the, the embodiment of women on the internet. Now that becomes the main area of focus and that has a variety of very like destructive trends that have come out of that, right? Not just the Instagram influencer, but also the sort of like trad cottage core, like LARP sort of deal, which is, well, you know. Here, I mean, here's, I so I mostly agree with that. The one thing that that's missing is the e-girl used to be posted by men. It used right. to be like, you know, like, like, I don't think... Like creepy Chan, she posted those yeah, to yeah, MySpace, yeah, yeah. and then some other guy posted that on an image board. And and I mean, there's there's a handful of women who were like posting themselves, but even even them, like it was, I mean, it just and it was so it wasn't manicured at all. It was like make uh, lipstick on your nose and uh, you know yeah. like meekly holding up a sign. It was a very different aesthetic, but it was like currency that men shared to other men as opposed to women curating and presenting it. Like when women were posting these photos, for the most part, they're posting it for other women or people in their real yes. life. And then every now and then you'd get someone who would uh, post stuff specifically knowing what had already trended. And even them, even they got a lot of harassment and were like looked at in a different lens yeah. than the people who sort of were, you know, found footage, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, they would like infiltrate like a public fl- Flickr album or um, – that was also a great video by Meme Analysis, um, where he compared Cracky Chan to the uh, the anime. What was it called? Lane, Social Experiment Lane. Um, yeah, that was a great video. Um, I'm kind of pissed I didn't start on YouTube sooner, or else I could have been at the level of Meme Analysis. But uh, I that was a great video. I highly recommend. You guys should work together. I mean, I I just met him in real. Yeah, I. It... I, I just met him in real life. He's he is he's such a great mm, guy. Yeah, I'd I'd love to work with him like on a deeper level. I, we follow each other on Instagram and Twitter, so uh, 
I would love to like do just a one-on-one with him because the last time he went on BTR was kind of like derailed by political bullshit. So, you know, uh, but I think like it's very interesting, like a lot, I think Cracky Chan and Boxy, they were the two where they almost kind of like invited it a little bit. But there were like and Ham Chan, Ham too. Chan, yes, yeah, yeah. Then after was like Randy Chan and all that, because you have to realize that the, the, a lot of like the black pill incel culture that we were talking about comes from these like you know Chan boards like R9K, then later Eight Chan, where they would take specific women either from like the sexy beautiful women board or from B, and they would sort of like have this like weird idolization of what I would call the particular like R9K e-girl aesthetic, which is very like wafty and ethereal and lathe. And they have a very particular, almost neotenous look to them. Maybe because a lot of these guys, you know, they're weebs, right? So they have this particular look to them that isn't conventionally attractive though, which is kind of crazy because you'd figure like the most virulent right-wing incel racists on the internet, they would be worshiping like um, some kind of like archetypal image of beauty, like some kind of like Monica Bellucci or whatever. But no, like these women, they're kind of like, they're almost like femme cells themselves, right? Like they have that particular, griminess to them which is oddly appealing which is like exciting in some ways because it comes from a lot of the way in which uh, femininity is expressed in an anime in particular and so uh it's very weird to see how the e-girl aesthetic itself is also and this is what impossible princess was saying they're almost like replicating that early 2000s aesthetic so and also like just the 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 age range of the e-girl is like you know women who actually live through that who are in their like mid 30s or like late 20s and like you know 18 year old girls on instagram who have never you know lived actually through the early 2000s or whatever the early internet it's very it's very interesting that's a that's a another another good point like Cracky Chan, uh, Creepy Chan, Ham Chan. I mean, they were like between the ages of like 11 and 17. Yeah, Jesse Slaughter was like 11 years old. But oh, that's different entirely. Oh my God. But uh, yeah. Uh, They, uh, they're, man, they have a very interesting, uh, they go by Damon now. I found found their TikTok and they have an OnlyFans and lots to... Oh, her, lots to think about there. Uh, they, I, I guess, use the pronouns. They, they life was a disaster, train wreck. After that, that was like one, one thing after the other, one rumor after another. That was, oh man. Um, apparently, the father is dead now. Um, the internet, yeah, well, yeah, he died of a heart yeah, attack. The internet police. Uh, consequences never be the same. Like, oh man. See, even just like to know, like the memes. Like, there's so many of them. If you're like a later millennial. It, it, there's like this litany of like the, again the internet crew. I've, I've got news for you, Geo. We're we're young millennials actually, oh, and later millennials are forty. Holy Isn't that shit! Fucked up? No, I thought they were Gen X. That's like nah, dude. Oh god, we're that doesn't that, it actually makes us like older somehow, I know. right? Like <laughs> it's like thirty years old. We're boomer status already. You know? Like damn. That's oh, that's insane. Like, but yeah. um, I I yeah, it is interesting how the e girl is like the um, 
I think Young had a female equivalent, but the male equivalent was he called the uh, the pure Eternus, which is like the nymph, like boy, man, god. Like he said, like the negative aspect would be like the man child, but the positive is like this, um, like young, like Adonis, almost like twink boy thing. And the female equivalent is almost like the e-girl, which is someone who even in their age is sort of like eternally youthful, but also as old as time itself, if that makes sense on like a, you know, deeper level. Maybe I'm just, I'm, you know, schizo posting, but it's, yeah. No, I think you're right. I mean, I, I and I, I'm always confused by like who gets the e-girl sort of label. Like I, I get it. And like the, the people who, when it, it confuses me, when we get it, like me, um, sometimes Mary Harrington, which is like, I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> and, and like Alex Kashuda gets it a oh, lot too. Definitely. And it's like me and, yeah. me and Alex, like, I think maybe I'm a little bit more playful because I show sort of my whole self on oh, Twitter, yes. but I think we, we both are like, we clearly have like a project that is like not really about, you know, catching flies, right. You I, know, like flies being male attention of a certain variety. It's, it's- Amazing you said that because I've said this for a long time now, at least a few years, and people don't believe me. They call me a simp. Uh, that there is a new crop of e-girls that aren't e-girls that, in fact, have learned the lessons of the trad thoughts of yore, and who are uh, they don't they they don't seek the uh, far right uh, racist bodybuilder male gaze, but rather they want to achieve. Um, a level of posterhood of posting that is uh, that transcends these like appetitive desires, and I think like that's true. Like there's you, there's Mary Harrington, there's Eric Kushuda, there's um, who else am I thinking of? Uh, there, there's other ones too. Uh, I mean. I, 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 I think you're yeah. right, but I think like me and and Mary and Alex, I think we all have like very like radically different but yeah. like like in you know our own intellectual projects and i think like i think what we want is even like even different from uh you know i, I can't even I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head but I, I think you're right um but it's like there's everyone gets painted at this like e-girl brush and it's just like some people are just like women with a blog yeah. right yeah <laughs> You know, it's, you know, like, is Anna Katchian an e-girl? Absolutely not. You know, <laughs> some people would say yes, though, that that's well, Dasha more particularly, they would say that, you know, um, but then like, I guess what I mean is like the old school, like, I, I don't know, like, I guess, well, what's the big example, like Lauren Southern or whoever, like it's, although I don't know, it's weird how she's managed to maintain like some sense of authenticity nowadays. Um, but it's it's like this weird thing of eventually you know they they get married they have kids and then like they're the the audience the pay piggies they're like oh man duh, my shot is ruined uh <laughs> but then you have other ones i think that are sort of like chameleon like that have managed to um sense the way the wind is blowing and they go in that direction, not to name names, but, you know, I mean, th- there's always that reality. And there's people like that, too. I mean, again, without naming names, uh, it's really interesting how the Internet has, like, provided us this public square that is always, in a sense, fugitive, that is always in a moment's notice ready to disappear for certain um 
certain fugitive elements or actors within that public square and the politics and the sort of like the micro politics of these interactions are quite fascinating. And I wonder if like these friendships and these sort of um, groups and these sort of e-cults, I wonder if the real, if that were to ever be possible, if that would sort of like destroy the illusion. Like if you actually met your like e-friend or your e-girl online, if you met them in real life, I wonder if that would sort of like, until like an, a necessary corruption of what you your ideal is of this person like you know never meet your heroes never meet your posters right i don't know like i think in some cases definitely i've definitely like met people and been like holy shit like i was i was scared of you you know like <laughs> or like or, or even like that i you know i was flabbergasted that i liked someone so yeah. much because it's just like oh you're just a you know, you're, you're not, you're not that person online, but like, we're not online anymore. Yeah. It's like almost two different people. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, and there's some people that try to keep it real, but, but that also comes out of necessity though. I mean, obviously like the sort of the quest for OPSEC and anonymity, um, almost creates this sort of bifurcation of the self. Um, it's, it's like the anxiety of that, the, the gaze of the social order coming for you that breeds this sort of weird suspicion. And that probably goes why, you know, periodically people get accused of being feds and whatnot, you know, like um, the whole. I mean, I also kind of think that like fed is just like online right winger for racist, mm. right? It has the same purpose. Yeah. Cause it's like, yeah. if the space gets too crowded or someone's dissenting or someone, you can't really label someone this, you know, this way or that can't slot them in. They're not, you know, they're not safe. Yeah. Well, you can't call them a racist, <laughs> but you can call them a fed. Yeah, that's true. But also see, even though I myself am a face and I use my real name, I, I do, I, I admire, um, I, I think maybe like BAP probably goes too far a little bit. Like some people like BAP will go too far. Like, but I, I mean, a lot of those people, they, like I'm friends with a lot of them. I do understand, but I do understand their suspicion. I think if someone, I, I, I'm very on the fence with this because I do think that any political movement necessarily eventually will have to create um, social and cultural and political conditions where more people can be comfortable to express their views. But at the end of the day, that's that situation is not today. And anyone who is telling people to face them like to face and to like use a real name, I, I, I think is suspicious. In my opinion, I would never, I mean, I agree. I, I would never like, like, I would never tell someone that they have to like face docs or whatever, but you know, I I'm, I'm with you, but I, I also want to like, is anyone actually asking that There's of anyone? Some people, there has been some bad. Really? Yes. I've known for a fact there has been, um, like when I started facing, I, I, you know, experienced, uh, criticism right like uh this one particular uh finished poster <laughs> just has a total vendetta against me but um i you know i was actually surprised that after a while um I think if you're a face, you have to realize that you have to conduct yourself in a certain manner, not necessarily that you have to censor yourself politically, because if it came down to that, like, you know, I, the reality is I live in Canada. My life is fucked anyways. Who cares? Right. But, <laughs> but what I mean is like in these circles, I think you, if you want to be a face, you have to have a level of humility about yourself. You can't sort of give off the air that 
it's a necessity that people eventually should go towards posting the real face and writing and doing things under the real name. I think that um, you yourself have to realize that if you're a public figure, you know, so at the end of the day, it's very hard because I'm not going to lie to people. Like I take this shit personally like you do, right? Like I, when people criticize me, I'm like, oh, fuck, like someone doesn't like me. Holy shit. But um, you have to sort of bracket that out of yourself in some ways. You have to realize that this is the price you pay, that not everyone's going to like you. And, you know, I've been in, I've been in like, you know, e-fights with people and it's terrible. It's not very good. Like I was, this one guy in particular, I was viciously criticized but you know what happened after that? This this guy, uh, he publicly apologized to me on a live stream and we became friends. He got banned recently and unfortunately he got doxxed recently. And I, I really feel terrible. Um, I don't want to mention his name because, you know, it's sensitive, right? Uh, but, you know, I, I, was, I was shocked at that because I truly believe that all that bullshit about, you know, there's no friends on the internet and that, uh, you know, these people, these relationships aren't real. But if you're like terminally online and the majority of people you interact with are online, I truly think that there should be um, a coming into maturity, if you will, that we can be mature enough to realize that these relationships go beyond merely some fucking poster that I like on the internet, that there is something authentic to what we're doing. And there has to be because for a lot of people, there's no other choice. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, if my parents didn't like at least tacitly support what I'm doing. Like I, I know people who their, their family would disown them if they knew that they were, I don't know, posting about like what, like uh hypergamy or race and IQ or whatever. Right. Like it's, it's terrible. It's um, it, it breeds a sort of um, a craftiness and a bifurcation of the self that I think is terrible, but out of necessity, right. Like that's, and I, I, I empathize with why people are anonymous because a lot of people they will pay very heavy prices maybe not necessarily they got fired or whatever like i mean that's obviously true too there's people that will get fired uh, but there's people that just like i was talking about this on btr with owen cyclops another great artist friend of mine uh he said like i there's people in my family if they knew who i really was i would never see them again my child will never see them and i'm like that's heavy you know that is uh, yeah, we live in interesting times, put it that, put it that way. No, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I, I mean, I was, <clears throat> I was a non, like no face, nothing for the longest time. Um, and actually, I mean, the reason I'm, I'm not, um, the reason I started posting my fate, and this is a terrible story, but it's such a, like a, a woman moment, if you will. <laughs> a woman moment. Uh, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Uh, I met a guy in a park and he followed me on Twitter and I wanted him to like ask me on a date. Oh, God. So I, so I changed my avatar to like a very flattering photo to kind of like remind him like, Hey, I'm cute. Um, and then I was just like too late. It was just like, <laughs> was this man's name Paul town? No, no okay. I did meet him recently. Oh, yeah, He was in New York recently. I think. Yeah. Yeah. He, he I, I don't think he, he knows that he met me, but he seems like a, He's nice a very guy. good friend of mine. Yes. He's a very great guy. Um, yeah. Uh, but so you met this guy and like you post, you posted face literally to attract some guy on Twitter. Oh my God. Yeah. Because he, like he had fought, like I met him in person first and then I was just like, I, you know, I, it made sense in my head. Anyway, we did end up going out. It, it worked, it worked out in the end. Um, but, <laughs> but then, but then I was like, I had already, I had already like opened up Pandora's oh, box God. and there's kind of like no going yeah. back. Yeah. 
Um, and then why I put a name up and I stopped just going by default friend is I wrote for like the Washington Examiner or the Spectator or something. And they're like, we're not, we're not publishing an article under default friend. Just yeah. so, just so you know. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. <laughs> No. I might, you know, it's, it's people, it's an open secret anyway. I may as well go all the way. <laughs> like, it's funny because someone, like, after this one particular interview beef, it seems that, like, um, people, they use this one photo they found in me from my Facebook from, like, fucking 2015. And uh, it's not a very flattering photo, I must admit. But it's funny because it has, like, enough redeeming qualities because it's me painting that, like, it's meme worthy. And then, like, I was like attacked recently. I had to lock my account because a certain someone, uh, thinker of ironies. Anyways, I'm not going to get into it. Um, like posted this joke reply I had to our friend, uh, Tucker Marks. And, uh, it's like after a while you sort of like get desensitized and you almost find it funny. Like there was this like big, like joke account that like found it and like had like a thousand likes or whatever, but he like edited it to like that photo where like, um, I think it said like big N word something like it was like funny. And then I just said underneath, it's like, I approve of this message because like, really it's just jokes at the end of the day. Like, I think you have to have some humility about yourself. Like, like personally, I think maybe obviously I speak about this as a man, you know, and it's different if you're a woman and like, you have a constant litany of people saying that you're an uggo or whatever, like that must be, I, I can't imagine what that would feel like. Well, obviously. like the thing with me is like, so I agree with my critics. I mean, that's why I take that. So, and then I like assume that I'm annoying yeah, them. Yeah, do so you I'll, really like, though? Them. Like deep down, do you really? D- yeah. No, I mean, why do bullshit. you? Th- no, I mean, I, I, I mean, you don't have to, I'm not asking you. I mean, it's, I'm not fishing, right? But I'm saying like, I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm genuine, like I genuinely agree with them. Right. So, and then I'll, so I'll block them. Cause I'm like, maybe I am annoying. And then I, I, I have an alt, right. And I'll see, and I, it'll just, you know, I'm not looking for this. Mm. It just comes up on my TL and I'll see people like, why, why did she block me? And I'm like, wait a minute. How do I? I don't know what to do. What, do I? Do you want me in your your feed or not? Like, I'm trying to. I'm. It's like my act of goodwill is actually blocking them, so they don't have to see my shit right. anymore. Oh, I see. <laughs> I only block for opsec reasons. That's pretty much why I block. Like, if it's like, it, it, you're too big for that. I mean, like, you're too many followers well, for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, if if I see like a like things like you know pronouns in the bio, then it's like, oh, block. I can't can't risk it. Um, but no, I mean, I've. I've, I certainly, there's been blocks I've regretted out of like just frustration with like, but I've noticed like in my situation, like you do focus on the negative, but the vast majority of people, like, I mean, I'm talking like the vast majority of people, uh, they've always like given me advice and they've, uh, you know, they, they've tried to like tell me different like things of like losing weight or like doing this. It's like, I appreciate that. And I think like you have to have a level of humility, but in terms of like ugliness, it's like, that's another thing where I remember like you and, uh, and, Anne. I can use a real name, right? Anne? like it's, it's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I wish she was here too. Like, I'd love to talk to her one day. Uh, maybe she'd come on BTR. Uh, I think that like when you were talking about how ugliness, is almost like this weird discourse of like criminality and not criminality, but like moral, um, moral condemnation. I personally think like physiognomy certainly is true. Like in terms of political beliefs, it's like, I can kind of see it. Right. Like, of course 
it's vague and it's general and it's a pseudoscience, blah, blah, blah. But I think like true to me, true ugliness comes from within. Like if I see someone like you, you mentioned the, the tale of the wrens, right? To me, total ghoul, right? Like absolutely wants, oh, yeah, totally. like, wants to, but the raw material is like not bad. Oh yeah. Her, she offered, personality. Right. If, if, if Taylor Wren's offered whatever in a back alley, it's like, maybe you'd contemplate it. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if like you realize the magnitude of the heart of darkness that is there, then it's like, to me, I feel like ugliness True ugliness has to be ugly from without and within. I think that like this emphasis on phy- physiognomy can be quite like reductive, and people have certainly like chastised me when I've like done that fair bit of posting. They're like, you know, that's not a very like Christianly way of looking at things, which is true. But I think like the obsession and the preening, like what you and Anna were talking about, to me that really hits a chord because there's a difference between like wanting to improve yourself for like health reasons and whatnot, and like being obsessed with a very like caricature, like socially constructed view of beauty to the point of almost like sheer grotesqueness. When you like look at a lot of these like Instagram influencers, like there was that, um, that model and actress, what's her name that became part of a, what was a, um, Chanel or Victoria's secret or ambassador of makeup or whatever. She's like very tall and blonde and like lanky. What's her name? Carly Gloss? No, yeah, Carly Gloss, uh, Joy. I think her last name is Joy something. Oh, oh, the she was in The Witch? Yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, also, she's Latina. Did you know that? What, what the fuck? What? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> fucking way. She's just like British. <laughs> that, she looks like Anglo, like total Anglified. Oh, my. I thought she was just like, so, I thought she was like a Kate Moss yes. stock yeah. British yeah, chick. Yeah, It's It's weird because... In the one end, like the the '90s heroin chick thing, like that's pretty much dead, and like what they're replacing it with is terrible. But um, on the other end, when you s- still see like the inklings of that, she almost looks like I said she looks like a Puvis de Chavannes painting, which um was a French symbolist painter who painted these like very like lo- elongated like um similar to El Greco or Dikedico, these like elongated pale figures that had a religious significance to them the way that uh el greco combined latin catholicism with like eastern orthodox iconography they have like this um and i think that's why in the modeling world there still is that sort of like platonic archetype of beauty that can cross over into um in in high culture at least because of course that platonic archetype of beauty when it comes to like quote unquote low culture for most young men in particular is like anime. Like the anime girl is like this neonous platonic form of beauty, which I've a lot of weebs have come at me saying like, this is what they believe in. So don't, don't call me on it. Right. But um, it, it is very interesting to see because like at one end you have that, but in the other end you have like this body positivity thing and, and uh but I have like I have, I have a more like nuanced view of it. I think that like it's a good thing for like average looking women, even women who are like on the chunkier side, to like not be like shredded and like critiqued viciously by the culture around them. Because at the end of the day, like the vast majority of women probably don't conform to the standards of certainly not the standards of like 90s heroin chic. But at the same time, I think like 
the direction that they're pushing it in is like obviously ridiculous and terrible. Like I've had a lot of threads about like what it's like being fat and like obesity and culture and stuff. And, you know, I've gotten some pretty good reciprocity from them. So I'm, I'm like, I have a more nuanced opinion than a lot of like people in my spaces who like absolutely abhor like any, any like female body type that is not like an ideal, like, Artemis, like you know, Eros archetype, I mean, right? Do they do they really like dislike it though, or is it like that's their like pornography taste? And like it, you know, if a real woman is presented in front of them, like I have this theory that like people who actually have sex like are actually like way more vanilla, right? yeah, and their tastes are way more reasonable um, than like uh, people who don't have sex but think about sex a lot which is why i think like kink is so ubiquitous right oh, yeah. now like oh, yeah. when we had delicious tacos on he's a pretty vanilla dude and i think it's because he's like always fucking yeah oh yeah definitely because kink requires an um almost like an elaborate very like second order thinking towards like the kink itself like when you enter that uh erotic zone there's so many predicates on it that you don't really view normal relationships through that. At least from my like reading of it, like there's books like smut that go into like the erotic experience and how different erogenous zones evoke certain paraphilias. Um, I think like it's like, there is some kind of like there are posters like I'm friends with that. Maybe we have a more nuanced view of female beauty. Like me and my buddy Titus on Twitter, like we talk about like, uh, you know, like, uh, women who have uh let's say more of a rubenesque character um and i'm definitely i'm down with that you know like i have a very uh wide range of tastes but i think it's starting to change but because i don't know it's really weird a, a lot of like those old school like feminist like i mean nowadays she's a total ghoul like i shouldn't even mention her but like you know naomi klein when she wrote no logo um i think like that there's certainly truth to it um, who's the other Naomi that's pretty based in Red Pill? The other feminist, what's her name? Uh, Naomi Wolf. Naomi Wolf. Her book, uh, The Beauty Industry. Like I read that. That was great, amazing book. Uh, I I want to get her on BTR one day because uh, her husband has actually been on BTR a few times. Um, I bet you could get oh, yeah. her. I mean, I mean, she's been canceled like five ways to Sunday now, so we probably could. <laughs> we pro- but no, I mean, I know there's a lot of like flaws in that way of like more older like rad femme thinking but i think like she's there's a lot of truth there like i think that the 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 sort of uh the the gaze of the, the male gaze aspect i i think has been misportrayed but at the same time there is that reality of um objectification and so if you will uh there's another great quote in the agony viros book that i think you would really like um by hil chan uh so this is from the chapter um, I think is it the biopower chapter? Or is it the pornography chapter where he says, um, today love is being positivized into sexuality and by the same token, subjected to a commandment to performance, to perform sex means achievement and performance and sexiness represents capital to be increased. The body with its display value has become commodity at the same time. The other is being sexualized into an object for, uh, procuring arousal when otherness is stripped from the other. So like man to women or woman to man or whatever, one cannot love one can only consume. 
to the extent the other is no longer a person. Instead, he or she has been fragmented into sexual part objects. There's no such thing as sexual personality. When the other is perceived as sexual object, primal distance, Erdenstadt's um, Eros, Martin Buber, claims that such distance serves as the very principle of being human and constitutes the transcendental condition for alterity. And on the page before he says um, of pornography, that um, pornography is, uh, let me find it here. It's the chapter in porn. Um, It is one that lacks a critical distance in the sense that it is always available. Um, it is infinitely repeatable. There is no demand of the no. There is no wager, unlike the dance of traditional forms of eroticism where there is this pushing and pulling. There is like this seductive dance, but the other has to have a distance in order to achieve that eroticism. And even Bataille talks about the tra- the sort of like transgression of that distance. Whereas nowadays with pornography and OnlyFans and so forth, with the commodification of the body, there is an infinite degree of at one end extreme separation from the one and the other in, in terms of the other being a desired object. But in the same way, this like pantomime of closeness through the immediate availability of it. Um, and there's, a litany of expression that comes out in kink. Um, This passage reminds me uh, of, sorry, I'm going off. I'm rambling, but it reminds me of the the recent episode that you and Anne did on the, uh, the Larry Clark movie. uh, What was it called? Um, Impaled. Impaled. Yes. It has another name too, by the way. Uh, But that I, Oh, I love that episode because when I grew like, you know, when you're younger, it's a, I, I watch quite a bit of like, Harmony Korean and Larry Clark and it's oh it's terrifying. I, I was so convinced you were gonna say I watch quite a bit of porn and I was about to be like, how do I respond? How do I respond? Thank God there's Harmony Korean. Oh but uh truth be told, I think I have seen the actress that was in the film. Um but it's it's funny though, because you were talking about like the de-eroticization of it and like how like the sausage is actually made you know no pun intended and it's funny how you were talking about the perspective of um i think her name is the 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 porn actress what's her name the 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 milf uh it's like tracy something tracy lee i think her name is tracy lee or something um she like she was what you consider like a beautiful woman right but yet the age is like this critical aspect that can at one end repulse but at the other end lend itself to a sort of kink or a paraphilia or like a deep longing for as as Anne said in the episode like a deep longing for the maternal which is always like there's a comforting aspect to it and i think this is why like i, I said this I, I think i tweeted this at you like i, I want i'm actually like um I have like the skeleton of this essay I want to write, but I'm like terrified of it about like uh, a lot of like these modern um, fascinations with por- por- the sort of like p- pornographied relationship towards things like um, the paraphilia is involving both reproduction and also age and like the mommy GF things like that. To me, I, I notice like having done research on this stuff, there is like, 
there's this weird like underlying relationship between the maternal aspect of like the mill for the mommy GF and the reproductive aspect, which is now like the sort of like pornographic fetishization of what used to come natural, like, you know, um, impregnation, cream pie, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like there, there always seems to be from what I've read this, like, interesting connection between them and i think that exposes a lot of like what is going on in terms of the sort of deeper new sphere of like the male psyche and i was reading this very interesting but of course it was like this feminist critical theory book um about witches right uh how female and how like um she was talking about like it was called like queering the witch or something this book of like you know queer like uh, the academic term queering right um she was talking about how the, the the oddness and the rarity of like the um the mother being the incestuous sexual predator towards the son because usually it, in patriarchal society she was saying that it was like you know the father and the daughter right that's always like the underlying sexual tension like the lolita thing but when you invert that relationship it's a rarity in antiquity and in like sort of medieval times with the reality of like she was talking about the witch and you know all that stuff chalice and the blade type you know matriarchal societies blah 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 but nowadays it's almost like there's an extreme suspicion of older men being with younger women but at the same time there's this drive and this unconscious force towards the eroticization of older women and like sort of the maternal element itself becoming another paraphilia which is really like to me says a lot and I'm giving away the essay obviously, but it's like, to me, it says like quite a bit. So I'm sorry. I've rambled on forever. Fuck. No, I mean, this is all, this is all super interesting. It, um, you know, it's, I feel like, I, I, I feel like the eroticization of maternity is, I mean, if, if we had men who were, who were supported in their masculinity, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have that, right? Like our society does everything it can to emasculate men. And, um, you know, you can't, you can't transcend to like, you know, you can't like defetishize this stuff right, right. Um, without breaking those chains. Exactly. Do, do you think that like, let me ask you something. What, what about the opposite end? What is, the sexuality of the girl boss. What is it? I know you've talked about this before, but to me, it's almost like the anti maternal, the anti uh, mommy GF, or maybe who knows me, that could be like a dominatrix sort of like thing. But uh, what is the vibe? Like what is the sexual vibe of the girl boss? Uh, you know, I'm in your, in your words, obviously. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a very good question. I, I, I find that like in practice, the girl boss is always going on like a thousand first dates that are failed and men are trash, but she's a hot mess too, but she's not a hot mess in the workplace. Um, and yeah. you know, I, it, it's, it's funny cause I don't have any more, like I would, this sounds really weird. I mean, not that I, this, this episode obviously needs quite a bit of editing cause I've, I've been very weird throughout, but, um, no, let it all go. Let I, it all go. Let's just do it. That's, this is primo content right now. This is amazing. Um, but you know, I wish I could be a fly on the wall during like one of these one night stands because like one thing I can I have never been able to understood is why why so many first dates why mm. is it why this failure to launch and I don't know if it's because like I'm more forgiving personally so like I you know I don't 
Like I've never had that experience of just like failed first date, failed first date, failed first date. Um, or like, you know, how are they acting on like, you know, what's like, what's going on? I can't, I can't model what their, their experienced sexuality is. I just don't understand it. I think I have a few theories. I think that, um, without getting too personal because this is someone, a member of my family, um, (laughs) Uh, well, you don't have to say that. Yeah, right? yeah I'll just say that. It's a member of my family. Um, who, so she is like this, not girl boss per se, but like, I feel like they are addicted to the first like honeymoon phase because it fits into a gaining of experience because now we have this very much like corporatized attitude towards the like you have to like live experiences and experiences themselves become commodified. So to me, I think like it's the addiction of that sort of carefree exploration, like the puppy love phase. But when it comes to something deeper, which is I think what true eroticism entails, and this is what Hilo Chan is saying is that true eroticism requires a startling and deep and uncanny, but because he's a Korean that was a, I think he was raised in Germany. Uh, he used the German term where uncanny means like scary or out of or alien or out of this world. So I think when it comes to a deeper form of commitment and intimacy, that is the backbone of eroticism in, in the sort of more older, like filial sense, then they sort of run away from that because they can't integrate that into their experience of what life is like as like a girl boss, right? Like there is this great uh, concept created by, let's call him a very flawed individual. uh, That was a YouTuber (laughs) that was quite popular back in the Manosphere Gamergate days. Have you ever heard of Davis Arini? No. Okay. Well, he inspired a lot of different YouTubers like millennial woes. And he like sort of fell off the deep end the last few years for a variety of reasons. I'm not going to get into it, but, uh, and he was like, you know, (sighs) there's just so much deep lore. There's so much deep lore. I'm not going to get into it. Um, but he had this great concept one time, this one video I watched where he said, um, he called it the corporate boyfriend. He said the corporate boyfriend is like, the position of being a girl boss, like your experience within the sort of corporate life and structure itself starts to mimic the things that traditionally are ascribed to like, um, like maternal, like, you know, domestic life and domesticity itself. So like the sort of, a you get these points of achievement, you get promoted, you, you sort of organize different like uh, events for the, you know, the team, the, the sort of uh, family structure is grafted onto the, uh, the work environment. And it's like this weird, like capitalist pastiche of what family life is. And I, I, and there's probably like difficulties with that thesis, but it's very interesting how, but but at the same time, I don't know if the girl boss is still a thing though. Is isn't that like kind of like a millennial thing? Like, do, do Zoomers want to be girl bosses or do they want to be like streamers? I don't know. Like, it's. I don't think they. I don't think. I don't think they want to be girl bosses in the same sense. But I think like the it's a real archetype. I don't know. I think it, it's its role in the media is shifting. But I I think it still exists. And like I I certainly like know women who 
you know, our, our girl bosses. Um, I do know a lot of like 34, 35 year old women Mm. who were girl bosses who now are like, fuck, I wish I got married and had kids. And now I just want to, you know, tend to the home and I'm stuck at an advertising agency, which is also like very sad. Yeah. I think. Well, our friend Alex Kashuda, she like was a girl boss and she gave it like, like a bodhisattva. She gave it up to achieve an actual traditional (laughs) lifestyle. So that is like, uh, I mean, it's it's a rare exception, but I feel like maybe that could be a a trend because like you know, there's all that you know all that stuff about like uh, you know if you're if you're 25 you hit the wall you know it's I, I personally don't it's such yeah bullshit. It's, bullshit. it's bullshit <laughs> they they say that a woman could even like have kids later on in life if they take progesterone or if that's like some esoteric Twitter science thing but uh, I mean I don't think I think like you're it's not fair to your children but oh, sure yeah yeah, yeah I, it isn't. <laughs> It, it's it's so funny. I get accused of going down. I mean, not accused might be the wrong word. I people assume that that's the path I went down too, but I actually went in the opposite direction, mm. which is the the I you know, I don't want to I don't want to stoke any flames, but I I actually did the Radfem Hitler thing, which I started that way. Oh. And then I think I'm probably closer to a girl boss now. <gasps> I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm, I'm in the, I'm the, as always, I'm, I've, I didn't pick a side. I'm in the middle. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit of a, a taste of both. Someone said that but- <laughs> about you. Like you're a cross between like on the one end, uh, was it Rad Femme Hitler? Or was it some other? No, yeah, yeah. You're the middle of Ayala Girl and Alex Kashuda. And I'm like, damn, that's cold. It's true though. Yeah. It is. <laughs> <laughs> that is cold. You know, it's like I, I've never done the poly thing. No. I've never done the you know crazy shit. But I, you know, I start. I, I, I'm definitely less extreme than I was. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> now I'm like. I've seen too much. I don't know. I don't have any allegiances anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I think like people give her a lot of crap and it's like a, Oh, a rad film. Hiller's always been nice to me. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, she's, she has I, I a mean, lot I of like stuff her. sus takes, but it's, you know, that comes with it. I, I like her a lot. Yeah. I like her a lot. Yeah. She, I can tell if we met each other in real life, we would get along swimmingly, but, but the takes are kind of like, <laughs> Oh man. But here's what I don't get. People like flip. So I, I think she's a really like interesting, cool person, but like, I don't agree with her tweets, but people take her tweets like so seriously. And it's like, why does, why do her tweets, like people will call her subhuman for like <laughs> tweeting some like boring ass shit about d- coffee dates. Like who cares? How does that impact your life at all? Or like they were flipping out of her twink stuff. Like, I don't agree with Me that, either. but whatever. Like, <laughs> like fuck it. I I don't give a fuck. I'm just not going to read it. I don't know. (laughs) I I think because I think she consciously knows that she's really hitting upon a lot of insecurities. Um, And I think like even someone like myself, I have a lot of these insecurities as well. I'm not like, I'm not saying this to be like high and above it, but I think like some of the responses you get though are quite poetic and are quite valid in terms of like, she has these sort of like extreme feminine perspective, but then a more articulate male perspective. Like there was this one counter to her twink tweet, twink tweet. Oh God. Um, say that seven times fast. Uh, there, <laughs> there was this one counter saying that um, the reason that men are sort of like insecure about their masculinity in terms of like looks and looks maxing and bodybuilding and so forth is because we live in an age where it's 
almost like it's not just severely discouraged, but the sort of archetype of masculinity that's held up is very much like, you know, like your typical soy jack sort of, I wish I could pull it up. Um, the response, it was quite good, but there is occasionally people who are sort of, um, brave enough to push back, but then it's like, uh, for some reason she just gets under people's skin. I don't know. It's really, it's really crazy. <laughs> I mean, uh, I know people in, in real life who are like, uh, you know, like people who I like met at like, you know, tech networking events that you just go to, to like do your like professional due diligence in San Francisco who will be like this rad femme Hitler bitch. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> I I like I only talk to you about like startup shit and like you have some like peripheral idea that I'm on Twitter like how is she like she has like what like 3,000 followers her reach is insane yeah Yeah. she really does push people's buttons and I I mean she 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 seems to have fun with it and you know as long as she's as long as she's having fun yeah yeah (laughs) I like how I like how they goaded her into like body doxing because like which I kind of like, okay, I know like here. Okay. So for everyone listening to this, hear me out. Like, I love you guys. You're my boys. I'm not trying to sim, <laughs> but it was, it was hilarious where everyone was like, she's gotta be some fat bitch. She's gotta be some fucking land. Well, right. Then she like, like self docs is like, she censored her face, but I can kind of tell what her face looks like. And she's like, she's like the, basically like the Aryan princess ideal of like a track. Like she's like a, we feel girl. Like I swear to God, it was so fucking hilarious how they were like trolling her so viciously. But the reality is like, yeah, she is objectively beautiful. Like it's kind of like deflates. It's like, Oh God, no. Like I went, like, it's almost like they wanted her to be like some land will, like I'll go, <laughs> like, you know, um, I find it funny that she's actually like a hot girl, which is like, it's it makes it's more funny to me. I don't know why. It's you know. Yeah, because it's like because you can't just decide what people look like because you don't like their tweets. Yeah, that's true. That's oh man. Um, the, the, but again, that goes to like I I think what what Yana and Impossible Impossible Princess were talking about. Um, I say Impossible Princess because I don't I don't want to use the real name obviously. Um, like. The, about how the the structure of the e girl is in one end a fantasy, but in another end, it's almost like a weird way of women online controlling that gaze to an extent, or presenting, being consciously aware of the fact that they are a sort of like ocular object of desire, and therefore they're using that as like this. Uh, this like counter discourse. It's almost like, you know, the collie terrible mother coming down and, you know, the longhouse mother trying to like call her children. Right. Um, because a lot of them can be quite vicious. You know, there is, um, there was this great, there was this great, um, I, I have my critiques of digital art, but there's this great digital art piece that I think I found on Instagram or somewhere that I posted where it's, um, like a typical e-girl and it, uh, she's, um, in front of a camera and it's made of bricks and she like her body is made of bricks and men are like writing like uh, different like demarcations on them and like slotting them into her. So like mommy GF goth, big titty GF, um, 
you know, like uh, schizo, whatever, autistic girl, GF. And so it's interesting because as a sort of like the work of art in that sense, is it that these men are like interpolating her and the male gaze is placing labels on her or is she inviting them? Is she handing the bricks out to say any sort of desire that you have towards this perfect ideal of like an angelic woman that will, you know, become my GF is, is it like, are you inviting the gaze? Right. Like that, that is to me, I thought that that, I mean, it, it could just be a stupid piece of Tumblr art, but like to me, I thought that was profound. Yeah. No, I like it. I mean, yes. I think, yeah. you know, I think the thing is it's both. Uh, you, you're, you're definitely in, <clears throat> you're, you're inviting it and you, you feel bad when you don't get it and you try to, you know, move the dials to get, to maximize it. But also oh, yeah, like definitely. men are projecting on you like crazy. Like, you know, they just decide uh, it, you know, it was, it was, I'm trying to write this essay and kind of failing about how like the <laughs> yes. whole internet is like a text based yeah. role play. And we're all sort of, we're all like Mary Sue's, but the thing is like my version of a Mary Sue is not going to be interpreted as a Mary Sue by every viewer. So it's like, or every player rather. So it's like, you're still at the mercy of how people interpret you. I wrote this essay back in like 2016 about, um, you ever heard of that, uh, photographer, um, I think her name was Salinger. She did like the teen bedroom spread back in like the. Oh yeah. 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 Oh man. I wrote this essay about, um, it was for a smaller website. It's in my collected works on my WordPress about like how, like, uh, the, the, the sort of rooms of young people have changed. Like now that our world is like online, um, there really is no like regalia around like your typical, like unique aesthetic and like decorating your own sort of space. Right. The interior of your life is in like the teen bedroom. And, uh, I said the term, I said, it's almost like we're in this like weird, like MMORPG of life. That is like the internet colonizing the real, it's like now everyone's their own playable character. Yeah. Yes. And I'm going to look for that essay and quote it liberally in this piece that I'm trying to write. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, another thing, too, which is interesting is that I was thinking of like who I could bring up as an example. Uh, like I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan and I take such an inspiration from the art of uh, Edvard Monk. And he really, I think, is like this... I would say like proto incel artist of our time because um, there's this really great um, passage you've ever watched the, or even read the book by the art critic, Robert Hughes. It's called shock of the new. Um, he had this like great observation about Edvard Monk. He said, uh, it is like typical like heavy Australian accent. He's like, well, you know, uh, women, they were vampires to him. They were either, um, like sex was either like hateful and foreboding and revealing and like the nakedness of the female and the male human form together is a source of terror. Or there is this relationship to women in Edvard Munch as literally like the vampire stealing your vril. Like there is this one, um, I think it's called Nocturne Vampire, this one where it's like the woman is like overcoming the man. I think it was a woodcut and I also do woodcuts. Um, but it's like, there's a little daub of like sperm running off the page, like running off the the picture. And it's like the woman is like stealing the essence of the man. But also there is like the counterpoint, which is this like, weird incel rage in this like 
driven to uh, the conquest of the feminine. So it's like, in, in Robert Hughes, the way he phrased it, he said that sex was for the man was a negotiation either of total castration in the marriage act where a woman just basically destroys and robs your essence, your virile, or it's something that you consign to oblivion in the term of celibacy where you are sort of like a night of resignation where all of the sort of bodily and uh, eroticized needs that you have are ignored because there is this like elaborate game of like on one end, the woman is the object to conquer, but it is also the source of shame and humiliation and the stealing of the sort of castrated male essence. And like his artwork was so transcendent in that because he really was like the last like quote unquote modern painter. Um, there's also this great passage by um, by uh, Frederick Jameson in the his book, you know, Postmodernism: The Logic of Late Capitalism, where he says um, Edward Monk was the last like modern artist because it was literally the self being overcome by the forces of modernity and the forces of nature itself in the scream. Um, whereas like postmodernism came about after and now art becomes this like weird ecletic pastiche that no longer has that power of confrontation. But, but when you look at Edward Monk, when it, like he obsessively painted certain women and, and did woodcuts of them and his gaunt and like lith like figures. And it's always like him in the corner being like a sad boy to me. I think like it, it really gives a an aesthetic expression. And and I think this is why I resonate with him so much. Not, I mean, our painting styles are quite similar as well. Um, but I think like the, I wanted to write an essay on, and I think I wanted to write in relation to Lautrec, which is uh, the French painter of the same era. The um, other incel he, painter. <laughs> exactly. But, but see, he's an incel of the affirmative because he paints an imagined, um, lovingness and eroticism of the most intimate moments between lovers. I mean, there were prosties that he used to frequent, obviously. Um, I, I use anytime I post about incels back when I was just using art without checking the rights or anything, I would use a uh, Lautrec painting Oh yeah, for the, for the same reason. Still, yeah. I wonder if I could get away with it on maybe on YouTube. Uh, but no, it's true. Like I think that Lautrec reveals a sort of, um, French frivolity of the erotic union that is um, totally different. Like he, like you don't get a sense of bitterness in Lautrec the way that you get with the dour, austere Scandinavian Edvard Monk when it comes it's, to women it's very in particular. Wistful. It's yearning. Yes, incredibly wistful. Even his brushwork is was radical at the time because he was um, actually, I think he was one of the teachers or they were in art school together with uh, Van Gogh and uh, they, they were like, you know, drinking and whoring together. And the, the teacher at the Academy at the time, I think kicked both of them out um, because like he really taught Van Gogh that sort of like wistful painting, the, the, the painterliness that is very flicky and wistful. I mean, I can't describe it like, unless you're actually in front of a canvas, you, you know, uh, but it's very like, wistful and it's has like a sort of looseness of the wrist that is would later go on to inspire that whole like litany of post-impressionism um whereas like edvard monk he had that sort of uh he had the frivolity of color but his brushwork was very like 
almost jagged and austere. And it, it was very like his color template was very um, homogenous throughout. Like he had like a lot of the paintings are very few colors. The, the, his color scheme was very stark and very austere, but he painted something that in its simplicity was so transcendental. Like everyone knows what the scream is. Everyone knows what the Mona Lisa is. Um, I think like it's very difficult to achieve that level of cultural, uh, I would say even spiritual cash from like, I would say maybe like the Renaissance, like the Renaissance onwards, you know, uh, he was like one of the few, like apart from like Picasso or, um, Brock or Dali to like be a quote unquote modern painter that achieved that level of, uh, not just insight, but also like cultural, like every, like even someone like who has never been exposed to like Western media, like someone in the heart, like, like you could go to like Burkina Faso and someone would like maybe recognize the scream the way that they recognize the Mona Lisa. Um, so I'm, I'm just fucking rambling. <laughs> no, really. So it's, uh, it's like, it's super interesting. I hate to, I, I'm, I think I'm going to have to, uh, we're going to start winding it down, which I'm really sad. Yeah. I'm going to invite you back though. Cause this has been like a really great conversation. I would have, can, can you invite me back with Anna? Yeah, sure. Um, I'd love, I mean, I love this one-on-one with you default. I think we covered some great grounds and, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought I was going to have to embarrass myself more than I had to, but, um, oh, I'm glad that you, you know. didn't. Did you really think I was going to make you embarrass yourself? No, no. I was just thinking of, um, because I, I have this thing like and people have come to me like hopefully like um people interpret it this way but i have this thing like uh by being honest with like as honest as i can be because of course the relations that people have on the internet um pres- like you can never like totally control the interpretation and the sort of like hermeneutic traps that people set out for you. But I like to be as honest as possible. I like to be as open as possible, even when it comes to my own, uh, you know, particular failings or whatnot. Like, I think I like to portray myself as like, what you see is what you get. And it's like, uh, I remember my one friend Fisher King, he said to me, he's like, you know what people like you, Gio, it's because you still post like you're a small account. Like you don't give a shit. Like, it's like, maybe you, you have like a tweet that fails or maybe you have a tweet that is like people like call you out on blah, blah, blah. But it's like, you know, you always take it in the chin. I go, damn, that's, that's what I want. You know? So, um, like, yeah, if, if you were to ask me straight up about, you know, a lot of this different stuff, like I have no problems. Like, like a lot of people have different reasons why they don't cover very touchy, you know, personal subjects. But me, I like to be an open book. I like to think, you know, however, because I, I think if people like, like honesty, can like honesty and um, humility, I think leads to self self overcoming. And unfortunately, with the, the sort of the way things are structured on the anonymous internet, there has to be almost a level of insincerity in order to survive. Oh, there has totally. to be a hardening of, yeah, there has to be a hardening of skin and hearts in order to like truly, um, like be in the trenches, if you will, you know? Yeah. No, I what, think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I try, I try to buck the trend, you know, I think that, uh, I mean, yeah, there's been moments where that hardness has to be there. It ha- it's a necessity, right? But uh, I, I, yeah, it's my brain starts to melt after three hours. But uh, I, I mean, I try to plow through it because, like BTR, we tend to like go oh, on man, forever. You guys are but, you, <laughs> you, you're you're long as hell. <laughs> I know, eh? Like, man, we. I think our record was like 
it was the New Year's stream, which I think you can still find on Odyssey and Facebook. You can't find it on YouTube because YouTube, it was like too, like the girth was like so much. I think we got close to 10 hours. Holy I, think. Fu- I would kill myself. Yeah, it was, I was painting through half of it, but near the end, I was like, I'm done, man. I have to go to bed. I don't even give a shit if like they drop the ball or not. Like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. We had like a revolving cast of characters too. It was hilarious. Um, yeah. Well, uh, I guess before we close we have to this, do this out, again. We, so you definitely can come back on, uh, with Anne once oh, I yeah. pin her down. She just started a new job, which is why she, she wasn't oh, here today. Yeah. Um, yeah. so that's the, that's the first thing what we're going to have you back on. Yes. I want, here's the thing. Have me back on with Anne, but tell me to like do the typical after the orgy format where we like maybe read a piece of media or something. I don't know. We That'd would, be interesting. We'd, we would love that. And you're so insightful and it, oh, thank it would, you. yeah, it would be, it'd be great to, to, I don't know if we all to go into like a, I don't know, like a crazy event or like a, a book or something. Um, so that's, okay. That's the second thing. The third thing is I was going to ask you if you wanted to, you know, plug anything or say anything before we close out. And then I have a fourth thing, but let's, let's, let's do the third thing first. All right, sure. Um, follow me. My go-to is twitter.com slash giant geo. You can find my link tree, which will lead to my YouTube channel and my Instagram. My Instagram is my name, Giovanni Penichetti. And my, which I mean, just go to my link tree because you're never going to be able to spell my fucking name. Uh, <laughs> and my, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's terrible. Um, my YouTube channel, uh, Giner Productions, uh, youtube.com. I'm going to come out hopefully soon. I just have to put stock on it to like a direct to sale website because I, for some, by some reason, some miracle. Yeah. I got into that, like a digital main street program that Google was doing. So, um, you still have to pay for everything. It's like basically like a, uh, Shopify site. Um, but it's like that square app thing that, that, our, our, our good uh, patron saint of the internet, Jack, runs as well as Twitter. Uh, he, it's, I think it's called Square App. Um, so I just have to put stock on it. Then I will basically shill like delicious tacos and point everyone towards there. Um, it's funny because I recently shared a number of um, abstract works that I did like years ago. And those were the ones that sold right away i had two buyers wow those are awesome yeah the the shit that i did just to experiment when i was getting my legs going and painting i did like 10 to 12 to 15 years ago those are the stuff that people like which i find kind of incredible and ironic because i always get heat for like being the uh defender of quote-unquote modern contemporary art um so yeah that's where you can find me just go to my link tree i have like a bunch of interviews there with people like i did with my friend um my friend uh, Russell Walter, I did with my friend Robert Stark. Um, I I also have a number of videos and essays I'm working on uh, that will be hopefully coming out soon. I had an essay about the Met Gala, but I think I sent it to the wrong email that might come out in, um, what's that place? Not the Spectator. Either like Unheard or somewhere like that. Uh, so uh, it's going to be good. Um, of course, if you go to my WordPress Sorry, that it's in my link tree, my WordPress. It has a link to major PDFs. So there is two collections of articles that are both, I think, 100 pages a piece that I wrote over the years. And there is a humongous 70-page monster article, um, art criticism article I wrote called uh, Bodily Profanations, which is a review, which actually... Um, 
actually my good friend Adam Lair, I'm not going to dox who he gave it to, who's very close to him, a person who's very close to him, actually worked on this gallery and read it and she liked it because she said that the people she worked with were terrible. I reviewed this gallery back in 2019, the end of 2019, before the the Chinese imported delicacy came uh, came upon us. Um, it was called it's called uh, abortion is normal. That was the gallery. And I reviewed the shit out of it. It, it had so many of the like luminaries of like feminist art from like a uh, Cindy Sherman, uh, Marilyn Minter, Cecily Brown. Like I, I basically go through all of their artwork. We've got to do an like, episode on that. Oh yeah. That's, that's the- <laughs> I, yeah. I did one back in the day with Warren from tech wars, but may, I think like, if you and Anna were to read that essay and like maybe read something else, which is like maybe contrary to what I wrote, then then I think maybe we could have like an amazing podcast episode. That would be great. I mean, that's the that's the episode. I think. Uh, yeah, there you go. And then, all right. So now for the now for the fourth thing, just to to close this loop forever. Um, mm-hmm. So the Fed thing's dead in the water. I just got to own it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> oh, is that the fourth thing? That's the fourth thing, and then I'm, I'm going to let you go. Yeah. Okay. Listen, for all those who are listening, um, you know me. I would never come on a podcast with a Fed. That's my policy. Um, default friend is our friend. She's not a Fed. So there you go. That's she has both my endorsement and Thomas Seven Seven's endorsement. That should be enough to convince you that she is not a Fred. So there you go. There we go. And well, thanks, <laughs> thanks so much. Thank you so much. God bless. God bless you, my friend. This. Is-